Thank you, Vessies and Ronnie, and the God who has called numerous people out of this fellowship, including a young man who's spending time in the Middle East um, from, from among you. And we're so grateful. If you were to ask me what I get out of reading the Bible, I, I would say two things. When I'm grieving because of pain, the Bible comforts my soul. And when I'm resisting the will of God, the Bible punches me in the nose. And I need both. I love the Bible. I love all of the Bible. And I need its comfort. And I need its challenges. Well, the part of the Bible that we're looking at today includes both great comfort and great challenge. And I would encourage you as you're looking for church now or maybe the rest of your life, find a church that allows the Scripture to do what it does best and comfort you with extraordinary comfort and then challenge you with an extraordinary zeal. Let's read the whole passage and then we'll work through and see how God combines this comfort and challenge. Follow God's example. This is Ephesians 5. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place. Again, not proper, but rather there should be thanksgiving. For of this you could be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So what I want to do today is I just want to go back to verse 1, and I want to begin with this great comfort that leads to this great challenge. And the challenge really is follow God's example and love as, as he did. So what is the challenge today? And that is be like God. It's your goal in life. So what is my goal in life? You're called to be like God. Obviously, you can't be like God in his power. We can create solar panels. He creates solar systems. We can't be like God in his wisdom. We create eyeglasses. He creates eyeballs. But we can be like God in his love. That's what the verse is calling. Be like God in the way that he loves. And then verse 2 clarifies, how does God love? And walk in the way of love just as, there's your qualifier, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant, fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We said a few weeks ago when we touched on this verse, sort of in preparation, that the entire Old Testament was filled with animal sacrifices. They didn't know it, but they were all pointing to the one and final sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But every animal sacrifice reminded God's people that, that sin is never to be taken lightly. God takes sin very seriously, that whenever someone sinned in the camp, an animal had to die. And that when the animal was uh, slain on the altar and burned, 
the aroma that came from the obedience of the people to bring the animal. The aroma was pleasing to God in heaven. None of those animals, though, however, were human. So they didn't ultimately please God because these animals did not come to that altar willingly. Humans had sinned. A human needed to come for the sacrifice. And a willing human. And a sinless human. This is the true picture of love. Because it's not saying that sin doesn't matter. It's just saying God says, I will take care of it. Forgiveness for man's sin demanded the greatest sacrifice in the history of the world. And Jesus Christ was that sacrifice. Christ's death on the cross was a pleasing aroma to God because His perfect sacrifice made forgiveness of sin possible for anyone. And that's why it pleased the Lord. I can now forgive anybody. His sacrifice was so far-reaching. We would be crushed under the weight of guilt if it were not for the sin-removing power of, of the cross. Now, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 tells us how to live in the world. There's, there's, there's your goal. What am I to do? What's, why am I here? What are you here for? Be like God. That's why you're here. Follow God's example. Imitate God. Mimite in the Greek for mimic. Say you can't get out of it. It's imitate. Be like God. In the way that He loves. He is an adopting God. Children. Those who once did not belong are now included in the family. Those who are covered with sin are now covered with forgiveness. That's the way that He loves. We imitate God and the fact that His love is giving and it's sacrificing. God is not into mere sentimentalism, passive pity. He's not into big talk, no action. His sympathy is always combined with sacrifice. His compassion lifts burdens. It's a pretty easy thing to do to sit around and talk about what's wrong with society. I'll tell you what's not easy is to go do something and radically adjust your schedule and comfort and go lift a burden. That's what love, that's the only definition of love and all other definitions of love are theater. God does not merely talk. He fills our burden and acts by giving of himself to lift the burden. If you have a problem with loving, and I guess that if there are 243 people in here today, about 243 of you do. If you have a problem with loving, then the way to rectify that is to stare at the way that God has loved you until it brings hope to you. Stare at the cross. It will affect the way that you love. That's the way the Apostle Paul was transformed. He became one who gave all because he looked at Jesus Christ who gave all. That's the way it works. He changes you by looking at Him. You're, you will never be able to love until you have assurance of how much you are loved. Thousands of years ago in Egypt, the Nile River at a certain time of the year in the spring would overflow its banks. It would bring nu nutrients and 
to the desert. And in that dry land, all of a sudden, green growth, farmland would produce fruit because of the overflow of the Nile. The Egyptians used to refer to this as the ahet or the inundation. Why did the Nile flood each year? Because thousands of miles upstream, torrents of rain filled small streams which filled larger rivers. The mountains of Ethiopia would melt their snow. All of it would flow into the Nile very quickly and it would overflow and bless the land. You are never going to be able to love sinners until you see upstream God's love for you that's come into your life and has loved you as a sinner. So the first characteristic of God is love in you know, Ephesians 5. Is it's, it's giving, it's sacrificial. The, the second characteristic of God's love is that it is holy. We're not just to go serve the world. We're to serve the world with holy hands. Both of those are love. This is the message Paul gets to as he moves into verse 3. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed. These are improper for God's holy people. They're not right. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of, of God. There's no doubt about it that this, these verses 3 to 5 are a fierce call to holiness. You can't miss them. It's quite a change of tone in verses 1 and 2 and then verses 3 through 7. But it's interesting, both verses or both sections came out of the same mouth. The same loving God. You feel like when you come to verse 5, uh, 3 through 7, you hit a speed bump. You ever been traveling through a nice neighborhood and all of a sudden your car bolts about 8 feet in the air? Which tells you you're probably driving too fast. And you go, why did they bury a dinosaur right in the middle of the road? We just hit quite a speed bump in Ephesians 5. Because God wants us to understand that love is not giving someone permission to live according to the impulses of their body. Love doesn't do that. Because our bodies have many desires that are not what God desires. Look at all the impulses of the body that have already been mentioned in these passages. This is in us. Sexual impurity. Greed. Idolatry, foolish talk, vulgar speech. And, and these are so opposed to what God is. God says, because of these, His wrath is coming. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. 
If you're like me, and I've read this verse a lot, but this week getting ready to study, it's another verse that causes me to tremble. It's a trembling verse. Not because God wants me to live in fear that every time I'm sin, sin I'm going to hell. But He does want me to live in fear if I develop a carelessness and a callousness that holiness did not matter at all. Because it matters. It's the reason that God poured out His wrath on Christ Unholiness is the reason that he'll pour out his wrath on the unbelieving. So, if I told you any other message, then if you don't care about the holiness of God, you are walking into a storm of eternal wrath. If I didn't tell you that, I would be deceiving you with empty words as Paul warned against. Don't do that. Don't let yourself be deceived. That's where you'll be walking into. Think about it this way. If you had a good friend who was mugged and died because of a stabbing, if there was some hypothetical scenario where at the end of the investigation, the police said, hey, would you like the knife to take home as a souvenir? Not in a thousand years would you take it because that knife is what killed your friend. When you read verses 3 through 7, you are reading the things that killed Jesus. Why would you want them in your home? Why would you want them in your heart? That's what a love for holiness doesn't mean that we get it right. It's just we understand this is what killed him, the sin within us. When I thought about the two different ways we could work through the passage, I, I decided against the the thought of just parsing out all of the 80 words in verses 1 through 7. Because you could do that as a teacher. That word means that in the Greek. It means that. It means that. But these words are so strong. That would almost be like saying, hey, come over here and smell the sewer. It really stinks. Hey, let me lift it up. We'll climb inside. You can smell it better. So you know it's obvious what's in the passage. I don't want to do that. What I would rather do is talk to you about how to leave the sewer. How to defeat the sins that have been defeating you. And I will say that in my understanding this week, it happens by dwelling on four realities. And for you type A people who are already, already fearful that these are going away soon, we're good. we'll be with them all, all morning. Christ is your hope. Holiness is your calling. Self-denial is your path. And faith is your power. So let's look at the first one. Christ is your hope. So we do bring glory to God by obedience. We bring glory to God by going to serve the Lord in North Africa. Pursuing purity. So we do those things, but that's not our hope. Our hope is Christ. It, our hope is always built on the sacrifice of Christ. So don't miss the order. Yes, you're going to be called today to holiness, but only after He reassures you of love and forgiveness. Don't miss the order. That's the starting place and the ending place for all assurance. He provides you with unchanging hope because of His finished sacrifice. There is nothing in the world that God would not give you to forgive you. That's all there. So much He loves you. 
So do not despair. Listen to this. Do not despair over your struggle to love and obey. For Christ provides forgiveness even before you fail. That's already happened. Maybe to say it another way. Don't identify yourself with what you're tempted by. Identify yourself with what you've been forgiven of. Following Christ does not remove temptation. In all likelihood, it can increase it. Because up to now, you've never resisted. So don't berate yourself for being tempted. It's a normal part of the Christian life. Temptation is everywhere. Paul wrote these words to Christians because he knew they were dealing with this stuff. They were believers and were being severely tempted. If you spend your life hating yourself for the fact that you have certain temptations... You'll have no room in your heart to enjoy His love and forgiveness for your weakness. So instead of focusing on the ugliness of your desires, focus on God's love, the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in your body, which brings the righteousness of Christ into your heart, which is a pleasing aroma to God. Jackie Hill Perry lived for many years uh, in a homosexual lifestyle. At age 17, she said, I courageously, uh, proudly wore the name lesbian. But late on a night in October of 2018, she knew that Jesus was in her room. She knew he was calling him to love him, calling her to love him. To know him. She didn't know how she's going to be able to do that. But she said yes to whatever, whoever he was, whatever he would show her and however he would lead her. Jackie Hill Perry married her husband in 2013. They have three children. But the reason that I share her story is she's one of the most refreshing Christians I know because every talk she gives, she talks about her continued battle with same-sex attraction as a married woman to a man. It's encouraging to me because her identity is not in the sins that she battles. The Christ has defeated. Her temptations do not define her. What defines her is that Jesus Christ has made her a daughter of God. That's what defines her. Precious follower of Christ, you are not a former homosexual. You're not a former porn addict. You're not a recovering alcoholic. You are an adopted, forgiven child of God. Amen. 
a child who struggles with temptation. Daily you must picture yourself as beneath the radiance of God's glory, His light shining on your darkness, and all He asks is that when you find yourself in the dark, keep coming back, running full blast to the light. So you live life. He has no intention of giving up on you. But just as much as this passage teaches us that Christ is our hope, it also teaches us holiness is your calling. Christ is your hope. Holiness is your calling. Ephesians 5, again, can't read these enough, or you might think I'm adding to the text. I'm not. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Verse 3 is a while. Among you as believers, not a hint of sexual impurity. The Greek actually does not say not a hint, in all honesty. It just says none. (laughs) But the compound word that's used there, if you were talking with people in the first century, they, oh, he means not... Not even a hint. It's like we have slang. It was slang. So that's why the NIV went that way. And if it's okay with you, I'll just use the NIV translation for today. I see no objections. I'll go with it. (laughs) Not a hint. That's God's standard. That's his starting place. Not a hint. So we must always guard our hearts and our minds against any hints of sin, temptation, that would flame immorality in our heart. Guard our hearts against the hints that would turn into big-time flames. The reason we do that is hints don't normally have a stopping point. Hints become habits, and habits become destinies. That's why you battle every day to not feed a hint. You don't know where it will lead. All you do know is it's going to lead longer and farther than you ever thought when you first said yes to it. So it's never safe to linger when temptation is calling. Not a hint means no lingering. No lingering. So my brothers, I'll talk to you first that are here today. Not a hint of immorality means that you are called to do whatever you have to do to protect your eyes and your minds that nothing flames, stirs the flames of immorality in your heart. I, as a pastor, as a Christian, as a husband, as a father, I would not spend my life typing on a computer, sending texts from that computer, sending emails from that computer, buying things off Amazon from that computer. I would not use a computer that did not have... um, Covenant Eyes software on it to protect me from pornography. Tracks every website I go to. Weekly sends that report to my accountability partner of 30 years who not only gets my report, but asks me in addition to anything that he got from Covenant Eyes, say, is there anything else you'd like to share? So it's... Having covenant eyes means like, 
and, and having an accountability partner, it's like I'm a former inmate with an ankle bracelet of accountability. And it doesn't imprison me. It frees me from a life of secrecy. Brothers, guard every part of your heart and mind from morning till evening. Let your motto be, not a hint. Sisters, my time with you. You are responsible for helping your brothers in Christ to protect their minds and their hearts. So even in your clothing, there should not be a hint of wearing anything that would cause unnecessary struggle for your brothers in Christ. Now I realize that there are limitations to that since it's possible for any man to even find some mannequins in a department store to be attractive. <laughs> We're a mess. But it is fair for you to consider the question, sisters, am I wearing this for my husband? Or is there a hint that I am wearing this to be noticed by someone else's husband? I remember a few years ago, our secretary, Carrie, went to Spartanburg Memorial Auditorium to hear a former Victoria's Secret model who had come to the Lord. She gathered at a women's conference. It was on purity. And she began by apologizing to all the wives there. She said, I am certain that the magazines that I've been a part of in my life were a distraction to your husband. And that sin is on me. So not a hint includes social media as well. Not a hint. I have a friend this week who texted me and said, I have lingered in lust because of a provocative picture I saw on Facebook. So I don't know what social media platform you use. I'm a dinosaur, so I do Facebook. So here there's other things. <laughs> but you can never bring honor to God. You can never bring honor to God by posting a picture that unnecessarily provokes sexual interest in your body. Ever. Not a hint is the standard. What should you post on social media? I think the end of verse 4 is helpful. It's not, doesn't, you won't see the word social media in it, but I think the principle's there. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So everything we post on social media should lead people to praise the Lord. That's the purpose of all of our writing. All that we do is for the purpose of that people would enjoy God. So post all the pictures you want. Kids playing soccer. Rabbits in your garden. The sunset at the beach. A fancy dinner you prepared. Or a kangaroo crossing the street. But let everything you do cause others to see and cherish God. Not a hint of anything else. 
And everything we do, we're called to imitate God, to be holy because He's holy. Everything, the standard, be holy. Will we ever arrive at that? Will we ever achieve that goal? No. But it's still the best goal. Why would you say, well, because I'm not going to hit that goal. I'll choose a lesser goal. I read this week about Kevin Cullum. He started doing push-ups in college, and then in 2015, he got serious and said, I'm going to make it my goal to do a million push-ups before I die. In 2017, he had 100,000. Only 900,000 to go. (laughs) Will he make it? I don't know, but I know one thing. If his goal is not a million, he will not make a million. So if your goal is not holiness, you'll arrive at some lesser goal. So why you come to church every week? To be reminded that's the goal. I try to hold up God. The band tries to hold up God like a diamond, see his beauty. You're attracted to him again. Holiness sounds great again, and you come back. So any progress toward that goal of holiness is dependent on my third observation, and that is self-denial is the path to holiness. You know, there are only two worldviews regarding morality in the world. It's amazing. You read a lot of books, but there are only two worldviews. The first worldview is that every desire in my body is right. Worldview number one, every desire in my body is right. Worldview number two says some desires in my body are wrong. That's all it is. So we've seen in the passage today, God says some desires in your body are wrong. And so self-denial says, when the desires of my body conflict with God's design for my body, I will yield my body to God. That's what self-denial means. Just have an agreement with God that when urges rise up, I don't necessarily say yes to them because they might be counter to God. Self-denial does not make sense to the natural mind at all because according to the natural mind, the self that you're denying, the self is good. Think this out. Because your self is good, whatever whatever your self tells you is true. Therefore, to deny yourself is to deny yourself the good that doesn't need to be denied. But it all starts on the premise that yourself is good. That's why Paul says, don't get your logic from the world. And that's what he says. Don't, let, don't be deceived with empty words. The world thinks like that because the world doesn't fill its brain with anything else other than its own wisdom. It doesn't look to wisdom from an outside source. That's self-defeating. How can you have wisdom if the only person you ever ask for wisdom is you? So when you look outside of yourself for wisdom to see, is myself good? The Bible says this. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart or the self, same word, is deceitful above all things. All things means all things. Your heart is more deceitful than any force on earth, including that of Satan. Your heart. So whenever somebody gives you, whenever somebody says, I'm going to give you some advice, trust your heart, just know that you've heard the worst advice in the world. (laughs) The heart is deceitful more than anything else. Our hearts are not good because our hearts are broken. 
Genesis chapter 3 is when all that happened. Mankind rebelled against God. Theologians call that the fall when we fell away from God. And when something falls, it breaks. The reason that you must deny yourself and not listen to yourself is because yourself is broken. But the world, which only listens to itself, is going to conclude the self is not broken, but the self is good. In fact, the world says, I'm not broken. You're broken for telling me I'm broken. And that's the difficulty in reaching the world now. It's gotten rather militant in saying, not only are you broken in saying I'm broken, you are unloving by saying I am broken. God is very loving, and yet he says you're broken. Every one of you. Me. Broken. That's why we deny ourselves, because we have broken hearts. It's amazing when people think that self-denial is wrong. You hear that. They're even believers. I could mention that very phrase, third principle, self-denial. It's all God and self-denial. That's what, that's what makes Ephesians 5.2 so beautiful, is the self-denial of Christ that led to the forgiveness of our sins. He denied himself of heaven. He denied himself of earthly riches. He denied himself of sin. He denied himself of life to the cross. He denied himself of honor. Let me say it this way. We are saved from our lack of self-denial because Jesus lived in perfect self-denial. Self-denial is a glorious concept. It's why you're saved. Jesus self-denial. And so that's what Jesus calls us to, a Christ-imitating, God-honoring, Spirit-fueled self-denial. Luke 9, 23, talking to his disciples, he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. It's part of the Christian life. You say, well, is it the whole of the Christian life? Is, like, is, like, is that the goal of being a Christian, to deny yourself? No. The goal of Christianity is Jesus. The pathway is self-denial. Jesus is the goal, self-denial is the path. This leads to my fourth observation of how to defeat sin. Faith is your power. That is the power to be a self-denying person begins with faith in Jesus Christ. He provides the power for self-denial. Faith in Jesus, faith in who he is. Look at him as maker of the stars. Okay, I believe that. Faith in what he's done. He went to the cross. Faith in what he offers. Better pleasures than sin. So that's faith. What do you mean to have faith? Faith in who Jesus is, what he's done, what he offers. I place my faith in there. It gives me the power to self-deny. and Helps me to believe that he is better and more worthy than the sin that's in front of me. Imagine yourself riding up the mountains... All of a sudden, you notice a group of cars pulled off on the right side of the road. Everybody's getting out, and they're walking into the woods, onto this path. You ask everybody, or yes, the guy next to you, what's happening? And said, we're going to go see the greatest waterfall in North Carolina. You didn't even know it existed. 
and it's down this path. So you ask, how far down the path? He said, three miles. At the end of the path is the greatest waterfall in North Carolina. So I could do that. Well, you get out and you start walking down the path. It's a steamy day. It's a hot day. Muddy path, rocky path. And about at mile one, you think about it. I don't know. And you come and everybody's picnicking by this place where the small mountain uh, streams have trickled into a pond. Kids are sitting in it and it's beautiful. And you say, uh, this is enough. I'm at mile one. This is enough. I've never even seen a massive waterfall. But I can see this. This is enough. So, you stop. That day, what it would take for you to see the waterfall is self-denial. Going to deny comfort. Going to deny getting in that little pool. And I'm going to walk two more miles for the joy of the greater pleasure of the massive waterfall instead of a little pool. The purpose of self-denial is to say no to lesser pleasures and easier pleasures, most often sinful pleasures, to enjoy greater pleasures of Christ at the end of the path of self-denial. This is ultimately the way that Jackie Hill Perry left a life of lesbianism to begin walking with Jesus. She said, appreciate her candor so much, I loved my girlfriend, but God loved me more. Then she said, God loved me so much that he wouldn't let me go through the rest of my life believing that a creature's love was better than a king's. We deny ourselves because Jesus is better. This past Monday on Memorial Day, I drove down to spend some time with Mama, and I sort of skipped lunch and hungry. And on the way down, I stopped at a convenience store and to get a, a hearty meal and bought some <laughs> salt and vinegar potato chips and a Mountain Dew. <laughs> Quite a combination. As I was about to pay for my food, I guess you call it that, as I was about to pay for the substance, I noticed that to the right in the store was a magazine stand with the typical impure magazines that you would always see. And in that moment, after I saw them, my flesh felt them, felt them all the way back to high school. I heard the Spirit say, don't look again. Deny your eyes. Believe that I'm better. Didn't hurt I was preparing this message and knew that I'd be preaching to you. But accountability is accountability. I hear, I can hear him say, I'm better. Believe I'm better. Well, I got in my car, began munching on my chips and drinking my dew. About 20 miles after that, I came to a spot on Highway 25 that Lisa and I have loved for many years, going back and forth from North Augusta, where our parents lived, to Spartanburg. It's about an eighth of a mile stretch of beautiful trees. Lisa and I have just called it the Tunnel of Trees. 
massive trees on either side of the road towering, and they grow so tall that at the top they begin to bend and form an arch over the highway. I took a picture while we were going, and while I was going, as in the car, pulled it to the side of the road right after that and sent Lisa a text and said, the tunnel of trees send their love. To which God sent me a text and said, I told you I was better. One of the main reasons I'm a follower of Christ is that I believe that what God says about the future is true. I believe that by faith. I've never been to the future. So I believe, so to, to believe in a future means you have, it's by faith. So I believe that what God says about the future is true. And what he said earlier is, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. So I believe that the future for those who refuse self-denial is clearly stated, judgment. So I want something better. So in my mind, not being judged is better than being judged. So why would I not choose self-denial? Because it's better. Not being judged is better than being judged. And God has so loved us that He's told us the truth about future judgment and what it takes to escape it, and that's a relationship with Christ. It just all sounds better to me than judgment. So if faith in Christ delivers me from judgment, then I'm inspired to live a life of self-denial with Christ. But my motivation for self-denial is not just judgment that I'll avoid, but reward that I'll receive. It's not just about avoiding judgment, but receiving reward. In the last book of the Bible, Jesus said in Revelation 22, Look, I'm coming soon. And my reward is with me. Here's what the world says. What do I gain from self-denial? What do I get out of this? And here's your answer. Jesus the King is coming. And His reward is with Him. And you will see His face. That's what you get out of self now. Obedience to Christ is never wasted. It's never overlooked. It's never forgotten. It will be rewarded. One day the maker of the world, the creator of time and matter and space will part the eastern sky and come say to all of his children, well done, good and faithful servant. And as one author said, God's well done will make every single moment of self-denial worth it. Let's pray. Father, we're just stunned and startled always by the self-denial of Jesus. Gave up His rights to remain on the throne Gave up his rights to be praised by the angels.
gave up his rights even for an earthly kingdom. Lived in self-denial because we didn't. Gave everything on the cross. Gave everything on the cross. So that we might have everything in heaven. And we just shout hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for showing us that self-denial is beautiful. And that it leads to that which is better. It leads to you. It leads to the massive waterfall of God's unending forgiveness and glorious beauty. Here we are, Lord, all of us gathered today, mile one on the path, very tempted to look at the pleasures that are to our right and to our left and say, I'll settle for those. Give us a vision of the waterfall. Give us a vision of the cross, the empty tomb. Give us a vision of the city of God. Give us a vision of what music really sounds like, what food really tastes like, what love really feels like, what joy really is. Give us a vision of heaven. By your grace, by your spirit, help us to deny self. Not for bragging, not for gaining, but for enjoying Jesus. For enjoying Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us to glory. Amen.